0: If I was in a room with this guy and Hitler and Bin Laden and Stalin and Chairman Mao, and I had a gun with two bullets in it, I'd shoot this asshole twice. <laughs>
1: I'd like to start this uh, 421st episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris with um, a shout-out to all our veterans uh, as we celebrate on Monday, uh, November 11th. In the United States, we obviously celebrate Veterans Day, and here in the great country of Canada, we celebrate Remembrance Day for all our veterans that have, uh, have really laid the groundwork. And uh have had a lot to do with the freedoms that we enjoy today. And I wanna make sure to take time to thank all of those guys and um I give a shout out to myself. Um <laughs> that's pretty selfish, I know. No, but uh no, not at all. Honestly. Um I just uh this is a very important time of the year for me, just because I I remember about some uh, long, long days and nights in Saudi Arabia in uh late 1990 into early 1991 and and um, i just uh, think about the things that i saw and the things that i was able to be a part of and and um i for my little my little part of it i i uh, i wanted to say thank you to uh, all the veterans the marines the uh, the navy seals the uh air force rangers Uh, I don't know what the speciality guys are, but they have the same kind of thing here in Canada where they have Rangers and they have operations guys, and and, uh, I want to thank them as well too because, again, we live in two great countries here in North America, and a lot of that has to do with the sacrifice made by veterans on both sides of the 49th parallel. And I remember, obviously, Vimy Ridge for Canadian uh veterans and and we obviously remember things like Pearl Harbor for American veterans and and there's and I'm you know there's a whole bunch of them but I just wanted to on this special occasion as we celebrate Remembrance Day in Canada and Veterans Day in the United States on Monday November 11th again thank you very much for the sacrifice that you uh, that you all that y'all made so uh, I don't want to put a sad spin on it but
0: Um, can I just say too, I mean, both my grandfathers fought in the war and it was, uh, you know, I, I used to hear their stories about it and it was wild. My one grandfather literally ran into a burning plane, dragged bodies out like it was a movie, you know, and, uh. My, my one, my other grandpa told me this story about how, you know, they were flying over a German sub and they didn't even do anything. And the German sub just like throws up the white flag. And it was just young guys like, basically like, hey, what's going on? And they just wanted to like not fight. And it was pretty funny. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Remembrance Day. I remember I was telling my wife yesterday, I remember when I was in, uh, boy, it was, I think it was grade one I was in at elementary school. And we had, uh, I remember the g- we were in the gymnasium having a big Remembrance Day service. So this would be about 1986. Um, yeah, 86, I think it would have been. And so <laughs> I, I remember they had all these veterans there. And obviously, they were way more alive, you know, sure. than, than now. Sure. sure, But not only that, they, they had uh, two different groups. They had well. Over here is the World War Two veterans. Over here is the World War One veterans. Oh my! That's yeah. something you don't think. like well, for sure, there's not any. Yeah, there can't be any alive anymore. I don't think. But yeah, uh, yeah so yeah, there were still uh, some World War One veterans at the time uh, being honored, and uh, yeah, it was yeah. Remembrance Day is is really special, and uh, we're we're so fortunate. We're a couple generations removed from conscription or having to fight in world wars or anything like that. So, um, you know, my generation. Uh, it, it's harder and harder, and then generations subsequent to mine gets harder and harder to believe that that was reality. But uh, I hope that we can uh, remain grateful for all that.
1: When you were eighteen, um, I know that they don't have the draft anymore, but they could reinstitute it at a moment's notice down in the states because when you turn eighteen in the states by law, men are supposed to um, sign up for the draft.
0: Mm-hmm. Did they
1: have? Did they have something like that for you in Canada?
0: When you were 18? I don't think so. Not that that I recall at all. No. No. But um, uh, before we get on to whatever you were talking about, I've got some breaking news as well. Oh, go. Okay.
1: Minnesota beat Penn State.
0: Oh, baby. The Penn State Nittany Lions. And you know what? You know why this is so great? Because old men sitting around... My, My two favorite things with old men are... Sitting around squinting at tablets yeah. on the sideline yeah. and sitting around and deciding who should be in the playoffs. Like,
1: <laughs>
0: no, you shouldn't. Can you imagine, like, just imagine there was a team that went undefeated in the NFL regular season and a bunch of old men sat around like, yeah, I know you went 16-0, and but we don't think you should be in the playoffs, so you're not. Just just try to picture how stupid that is. Well, that's exactly what happens in college. And they decided, according to uh, my friend Mike here, he said it was a controversial decision that Penn State should be in the top four. And And now we can see why, because they have gone in to TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as seven-point favorites. No, so not quite as crazy as some of the underdogs we've had um, winning lately, but still seven-point favorites as the number four seed against the number 17 seed, allegedly. And they have lost 31-26 to the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So as much as I thank all of the old men that are veterans and have fought for this country, I want to tell all the old men who didn't fight for any country and just sit around making decisions for others to go fuck yourselves and you're stupid and you're wrong.
1: Well, I I was watching a little bit of that game before I came over, and um, I've got some comments about that. But last Tuesday, we'll start with this then. The first college football playoff teams were announced last Tuesday, the top four. Um, well, they, they announced a top 25, but obviously only the top four make the playoffs. Ohio State came in as number one. LSU came in as number two. Alabama came in as number three. And a, and very surprising to me, the Penn State and Indian Lions came in at number four. Clemson sits in the five spot. Well, now, obviously, Clemson will move up this week. We will also have some change this week because at 1.30 Mountain Time, 3.30 Eastern Time today, LSU and Alabama kicked off from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So obviously there's going to be some change there. LSU and Alabama will not end in a 0-0 tie. I can tell you that, folks. Um, Alabama's defense is good. LSU's offense is really good. Um, still believe Alabama will win, but um, there's going to be some upheaval, obviously. Ohio State played today without Chase Young. They're all American defensive end. And this is this, this is, okay, I wasn't going to start here, but... You got me going, the national communists against athletes have struck again, okay, Chase Young, who last week i if you didn't know um I introduced him to everybody here on unscripted. I think he might be the best player in college football period. He is an unbelievable defensive end. he's a junior um and after his performance against Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago, he had thirteen and a half sacks already he had. I want to say 17 or 18 tackles for loss already this season, and he gets busted this week by the National Communists against athletes. He sat out the game today against Maryland, and when I left for Chris's house, it was the end of the first quarter, and Ohio State was up 34 nothing already, so obviously there's no uh, worry about a Maryland upset in that one. But Chase Young was, uh, well a- as a precautionary measure, Ohio State sat him this week. Now, the NC2A has come out and said he's looking at potentially a four game suspension because this young man asked somebody for a loan so he could pay for an airline ticket to get his girlfriend out to Pasadena, California last year to watch Chase Young and the Buckeyes in the Rose Bowl. The money he borrowed has already been paid back. And somebody in Overland Park, Kansas, that's the home of the National Communists Against Athletes, believe that Chase Young has committed a fraudulent violation and he's looking at a four-game suspension for borrowing money from a family friend to pay for an airline ticket to get his girlfriend out to last year's Rose Bowl game. And the money's already been paid back and now this young man is going to have to potentially sit for four games because he wanted to make sure that his girlfriend could get out to California to watch him play in the Rose Bowl. Are you telling me that there isn't some kind of provision for this? And the money's already been paid back. That's the problem I'm having. He was upfront, told people that wanted or felt they needed to know that he borrowed some money to get his girlfriend to Los Angeles, and now he may potentially have to sit for as many as four games. And on the rest of the Ohio State schedule after this powder puff this weekend against Maryland, they still have to play Michigan State, Penn State, and Michigan. They'll have no problem with any of them, but there'll be a game. They could certainly use Chase Young in any of those remaining games on the Buckeyes schedule. But because he asked for a family friend for a loan... He's looking at a four-game suspension. I think the NCAA is totally out of bonkers right now, and I am so glad that this that uh, Governor Newsom in California signed the pay-for-play bill. So maybe we can stick some of these NC2A institutions and sh- shove the shit right up their ass. Because I am so tired of the NCAA in general and the monopoly that they have on all of college athletics and to punish a kid for four games, potentially four games because he took a loan and repaid the loan. I'm having huge issues of that. And I know Mr. Fluke is going to have huge issues because he hates the NCAA with a passion.
0: I've never seen overstepping of one's bounds like this when it comes to the NCAA, it's none of your fucking business. What this guy does for money. Uh, it doesn't even make any sense you can you can get a loan for whatever the fuck you want. What if he wants to renovate his basement? Like, absolutely, it, it's none of your fucking business. And the, the money is paid back. That's where I'm at. And, having and a it's problem. paid back too. Like, it doesn't even make sense. What four games for what? I know it's none of your fucking business. What he does with his money, if he borrows money or if he goes to the bank or what he spends his money on, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, this this has got to be the last straw. I mean, at some point you have to realize the NCAA could not be worse. I mean, it it comes up with creative ways I never would have come up with. I mean, just, I was, it's only been in recent years that I heard this, oh, they have a national championship by just voting. Like the original World Series of Poker in 1970 was decided by a vote, you know, which was, was. <laughs> really? Yes. That's stupid. Isn't it? And, it? and it was, and it was only, it was one table. It was like six, There, all the guys competing. It was like six or seven guys or something. Wow. And. It's poker. Like, you can just play until yeah, a winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's cards. Like, it's, it doesn't matter. But instead, they decided to vote for, like, a, uh, a player of the tournament or whatever. And uh, so they voted for Johnny Moss, who was recognized as the, you know, preeminent poker player in the world at that time. But uh, this whole idea of voting is unbelievable. If you're voting for a president or something, I get it. But when you have an athletic contest or even just a game like poker and you can just play it out and yes I especially in poker I know the best guy won't always win it absolutely you're you're totally right that's fine if you want to vote for a Mr. Congeniality of the poker series then that's fine right but at some point it's like okay who was the best man or the best woman on this day in this event that's what we're trying to figure out We know that sometimes the best person doesn't win and the best team doesn't win, and that's part of the excitement of sports. And that's what I think, that's one of the million things that the NCAA is missing. They just try to shoehorn and engineer an Alabama Nick Saban thing every year so that he becomes, you know, a 20-time champion. I remember Jerry the King Lawler in wrestling. He owned the USWA and he made himself like a 27-time world champion. It's like, well, that's great, Jerry, but it doesn't really mean anything. Wrestling titles don't mean much anyway, especially when you own the company and you just give it to yourself all the time so this whole weird engineering of oneself to look like more than you are or make your friends be champions or whatever is unbelievable the NCAA should be absolutely ripped apart at the seams and destroyed and something new should be set up to take its place because nothing could be worse than this like I would never would have even thought of going after someone for what they just do in their private life, getting a loan so that they can afford a ticket. He wouldn't even need a loan to pay for the ticket if you fucking paid him his fucking money. So I just, the NCAA, I could not respect any institution less. And I don't even know who the head of the NCAA uh, is. But Mark,
1: Mark Emrit is his name.
0: I've never even heard of him, this fucking idiot. But anyway, you know what?
1: E-M-M-E-R-T.
0: Let me just say, I'll use the old thing. If I was in a room with this guy and Hitler and Bin Laden and Stalin and Chairman Mao, and I had a gun with two bullets in it, I'd shoot this asshole twice.
1: (laughs) Oh, God, you're funny. Um, I don't know where to go after that. You're in a room with Stalin and... (laughs) I love it. Where else are we going to go? We got so many things to talk about here today uh, as we say hi and welcome you in again to this 421st episode of Unscripted. And again, I do want to send congratulations to PJ Fleck, the head coach at the University of Minnesota. What a job he has done at Minnesota. They are now 9-0. and um, Wow. Um, I, I am just Totally impressed with what he has done there. He's had those kids buy in. Minnesota has been crappy forever. And for him, three years later, to have them 9-0, just knocked off the fourth team in the country, the Penn State Nittany Lions. Congratulations to the Golden Gophers. And uh, things just got a lot more difficult for the University of Wisconsin to win the Western Division in the Big Ten Conference this year because, folks, the Minnesota Golden Gophers are for real. Um couple other things let's stay in the NCAA while we're talking about it I find this just absolutely hilarious last week the uh, Florida State Seminoles you know about the Florida State Seminoles they're one of the I like to say blue blood programs in college football um they went to they here's how good Florida State was when Bobby Bowden was the coach there for a thousand years they were in. They ended up in the top 10 in the Associated Press poll for like 30 years in a row. And maybe of 20 of those 30 years, they ended up in the top five. That's how dominant Florida has State has been in the past. Um, since Bobby Bowden retired, Jimbo Fisher took over, and they did okay, but they certainly weren't in any national championship games, and they certainly under Jimbo Fisher did not end up in the top five or ten in the final season polls. Jimbo Fisher, though, took his big money and took uh, his big payday from Texas A&M and and took off and went west from Tallahassee, Florida, and that brought Tallahassee, Florida, brought Willie Taggart back to uh, the Florida State University campus. Willie Taggart uh, was synonymous with Florida State football as an assistant for years and years under both Coach Bowden and Coach Jimbo Fisher. He left, went to Oregon, stayed one year at Oregon, and that's when Jimbo Fisher left for Texas A&M, and then ultimately there was a natural connectivity to bring Willie Taggart back to northern Florida. Problem, Willie Taggart sucked. He only lasted uh, less than two years. He was fired last week. And Florida State, now get ready for this, my friend. I don't know if you've even read this one, but I just laughed forever and ever when I read this. There is a report, and it's emanating from somewhere in Florida, that Deion Sanders has emerged as a potential candidate to be the new head football coach at Florida State. What in the hell are you reaching for there? Does Deion Sanders have any coaching experience? Well, yes, he's coaching his son right now uh, at the high school that his son is playing at in Dallas. Um, obviously, he was a star at one time at Florida State. But my God, folks, when is somebody going to realize that hiring a you know a noteworthy alum is not the answer to your football potential answer to your football program problems right now? Deion Sanders will probably recruit well because there'll be a lot of idiots out there that have this fascination of playing for Deion Sanders. But what kind of coach will Deion Sanders be? Um, Interesting. Um, But I think that this is a panic move. I think that there are a lot of qualified, maybe not as big a names as Deion Sanders, obviously not as big a name as Deion Sanders, but to resurrect a football program, with the tradition and, and all the pomp and circumstances that goes with being affiliated and associated with the Florida State University football program, Deion Sanders will last, you know, he'll be a popular choice with the Minions there in Tallahassee, Florida. But after the first year and they go 3-8 and eight <laughs> and they suck, then what do you do? Then you're paying off another coach. Somehow the alumni at Florida State gathered up 5 million bucks to pay off Willie Taggart and get him out of Dodge. They owe him nothing. But what happens after Deion Sanders, and remember Deion Sanders has such an inflated ego that if he doesn't go 14-0, and he's going to think it's a failure and he'll probably quit on him anyway, go back to television or go back to something in the Dallas area. I think this is a panic move by Florida State, go out, do your homework, do your due diligence, you would have, I would think, a plethora of coaches that would love the opportunity to coach at an institution like Florida State.
0: Well, you know what, when I hear Florida State Seminoles, I always think about, and here's some trivia for you, uh, a certain person, and we'll see if you can get it with the, uh, no, (laughs) but So this was one of the very first people, I think probably second or third person to ever have their number retired by Florida State. He is considered the greatest defender still in Florida State Seminoles history. And I know him very well because he is recognized as the very first African-American world heavyweight champion in professional wrestling.
1: I know this guy. He's a linebacker at Florida State. He
0: was, well, he was uh, number 50 and he he was a nose guard. Nose guard. Okay. I was close. uh, I remember
1: watching this guy. I don't remember his name, but I know who you're talking about. He was a dominant down lineman for Florida State under Coach Bowden, and then he went on and became a very good professional
0: wrestler. And I can't remember his name. Yeah, and he is. Uh, he uh, yeah, he led them to the Orange Bowl or to Orange Bowl appearances in '79 and '80. Had his number retired in 1988. Uh, he totaled an FSU record 25 quarterback sacks and 44 tackles for a loss, a mark that held top ranking at FSU for 23 years. Uh, he was the first Seminole defender to ever have his number retired.
1: Ron. Mm-hmm. Ron.
0: God almighty, this is good. If I can get this one. Mm-hmm. Can't remember his last name. Uh, well, it was uh, Ron Simmons. And uh, yeah, he wrestled as Farouk as well as Ron Simmons. And yeah, and, uh, in 1992, he pinned Big Van Vader to become the first ever uh, recognized world heavyweight champion in a professional wrestling organization. Uh, even I think the NWA, the old, the oldest wrestling organization still around. Uh, they I don't think they had a black champion until the 21st century. And uh, yeah, so Ron Simmons, uh, known as very, very tough. I remember there's there's lots of stories about how tough he was. Uh, there were these brothers called the Steiner brothers. Oh yeah, who, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, they were known because they they would always come out in their Michigan gear. They were University of Michigan mm-hmm. amateur wrestlers, and then they yep. made the jump to the pro. And they were known as extremely tough guys. And they tried to bully Ron Simmons once, and that didn't go very well for for them. Ron Simmons was just, like, they tried to bully me, he just looked at them like, are you fucking serious? Yeah, like, like, he's one of those guys, like, nobody ever beat up Ron Simmons, it just didn't happen. So, (laughs) yeah, very, very tough guy. Uh, He still makes the odd appearance in wrestling as kind of a comedy thing. He has this gimmick where basically if something weird is happening, either in the ring or backstage, he'll just show up out of nowhere and just stare at everyone with that same look that he probably gave the Steiners. And he'll just say, damn. And he, and he has a big shirt and all it says on it is damn. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he does. now, but anyway, So it's pretty funny. But yeah, Ron Simmons, uh, a classic for anyone who watches professional wrestling um great gimmick actually that he still kind of does to this day so he and john bradshaw layfield they do this gimmick where they're a tag team called the uh the apa the acolyte protection agency and what, <laughs> and, and what they do is like other wrestlers will just like hire them t- for protection as like yeah. bodyguards or like you know they'll pay them to like go and like go to the ring and beat up somebody or something and so <laughs> they just go out and kick your ass and then leave it's pretty funny so yeah ron simmons though uh i guess potentially still considered the greatest defender in Florida State Seminoles history. Well, um, the reason
1: I bring up the name Burt Reynolds, Mr. Burt Reynolds, people don't know that Burt Reynolds was a, who just died last year at 82, Smokey and the Bandit, you know, um, the longest, the original longest yard. Um, Burt Reynolds originally played football at Florida State back in the day. He was a very good halfback. And his roommate was a guy the name of Lee Corso, Lee Corso is on the ESPN game day crew, with, and they go to selected cities during the season, but Corso was, is most famous for that now, but at, at, at one time, he had coached a number of different U.S. colleges in football, but uh, Burt Reynolds, um, again, uh, he wanted, I remember this because recently on the Sirius Radio Network, they were having some they were having a tribute, basically, to Johnny Carson, and they had eighteen. They had found, in the archives, they had found eighteen episodes of old Johnny Carson shows. And on one of those shows, they had brought Burt Reynolds was one of the was one of the guests. And Burt Reynolds had mentioned on Johnny Carson's show that on his tombstone someday, he wanted it to be made sure that somebody put FF, FSU football player, not actor, not whatever else. They wanted he wanted to make sure that he put. Somebody put FSU football player on his tombstone someday. Wow. A little bit of worthless trivia in my mind as we welcome you to this 421st episode of Unscripted. A lot of things to talk about as we say hello and thank you for joining us and hope that you obviously continue to do so. Big conversation this week in the NBA was centered around Wednesday night and the basketball, the game between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Milwaukee Bucks. And obviously for me, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. So that's why I'm watching it. Um, A lot of people thought that this might be a finals preview when you get to the end of June because, you know, Kawhi and Paul George against Giannis and all the other guys on the Milwaukee Bucks team. But for the second time this season, and, and as we sit here today on the, what is it? The 8th of, 9th of, November, the Clippers have played maybe 10 games this season. I think they're six and three now, nine games. And already this year, Kawhi Leonard has missed two games for load management. Now, obviously last year, the load management thing worked very well in Kawhi, in Kawhi's one year in Toronto as he only played in 60 regular season games. But obviously he led the Toronto Raptors to their first world championship with Obviously, the help of this load management. He missed 22 games. Um, It's funny because both games that they had lost previous were two games. They've lost three games this year, but two of those three games the Clippers lost because Kawhi was out with load management. He, He sat out a game against the Utah Jazz. They lost. Kawhi Leonard sat out Wednesday against Milwaukee. Milwaukee wins in L.A. But it's funny because... That question was posed to a couple of guys that are especially one who I think of as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. And I remember Jordan is an owner now, so he probably has a different spin on things from his days when he was winning how many MVPs and six championships and how many scoring championships and how many times he was named Defensive Player of the Year along all the other accomplishments except he could never hit a curveball but that's for another day the greatest of all times Michael Jordan and this was echoed by this generation's greatest of all times in the eyes of a lot of people including me which is LeBron James both Jordan and James both came out this week and said they don't believe in load management and Jordan took it one step further and this is why I preface it by saying Jordan is now an owner. He owns, he is 100% owner of the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA. Jordan says, and I quote, you're paid to play 82 games, end quote. Your thoughts on load management. I think it's a joke. I think if you're injured, that's one thing. But load management, I think it's, it's a disservice to the fans of the NBA that pay their money to either get the game televised in their home or they actually make the effort to go out to an arena and watch these overpaid yahoos. And I think load management is a load of crap. And I wholeheartedly agree with Jordan and James that you are paid to play 82 games. If you're injured, that's one thing. But load management is for pussies
0: yeah hey uh, I can see both sides of the argument in fairness. You are paid to play eighty two games, and it, this is almost like a way to make the guys paid more per hour because you they can only be paid so much. they're so overpaid right now you can't make you you can't pay them a billion dollars a game like it, it, it can only go so high, so now they're going the other way and then you have to play less. Now they only have to play sixty games or forty games to make the same crazy money right and so but on the other side. Yeah, maybe your guys do get hurt more often if you play them too much. So I was uh, texting with our Vancouver Bureau Chief, uh, Sean Dode, last night. And I said, uh, about the NHL, I said, the Pacific Division is doing really well. You must be surprised. You thought they'd be horrible. If you remember on the preview, he thought the Pacific Division would be terrible. Yeah. And so he said, well, if you mean the Canucks, just you wait. They'll finish right where I said they they will, between 9th and 12th. And then he said... Green, so coach Travis Green, Green is running Edler and Tanev into the ground already, and both will be out injured very, very soon with their usual plethora of ailments. And so, I mean, he's essentially saying there too, if you run these guys too ragged, then they're going to also have the same problem where they're just going to get hurt and then you've hurt yourself. So... There's got to be a good balance here, but uh, I don't I don't know what the correct responsible thing is to do. You still want your your fans uh, to be see these guys and also to be entertained, but also you want to deliver a championship if you can. But man, it's a it's a tough line to walk. I think that maybe the NBA is taking it too far. But then we were criticizing the Raptors for resting Kawhi Leonard like two games into the season. Yeah. But then they do the same thing this year in LA. Yeah, but then he like he stayed healthy all year, for which no one expected he'd stay healthy no matter how much you rested him, and he won the title. So maybe it was the right thing.
1: But can't you do load management in another way in regard of less minutes? I mean, you know, if you're kicking somebody's ass, let them sit the second half. I mean, I, I would think that there are ways to build around and and still. Get him some rest and don't put the full load on Kawhi Leonard. And obviously, when they get Paul George back, he'll he'll take up some of the load that Kawhi Leonard has had to assume so far this year for the L.A. Clippers. But I think you can do load management in different ways in regard to limiting his minutes. Um, you know, if you're again, if you're kicking somebody's behind, there's no reason to keep kicking their behind. Put the stars on the bench at that time. You know, I just think that it's a real shame that, you know, uh, we have people and families and, and fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and whatever, but going to these games and not seeing. I mean, I would hate, I really would. I would hate, you know, where I grew up was hundred and about 180 miles from Milwaukee. So that was a good four-hour drive. And I would hate for my father to take me down to Milwaukee which he did numerous times to watch either the Brewers or the Bucks at the time but you go down to see a Bucks game and you don't get to see Giannis because he's in a load management game I mean and you don't have when you have to travel 4 hours to get to these NBA palaces these days you don't really have it depends on what you when your father could get off of work and when he had time off to do that and take four hours of drive down, watch the game, either stay the night or drive four hours back. We've done both. That's a long day. And you don't really have the pleasure of, well, I'm going to take this day and this day. Well, maybe your boss says, screw you. You're working this day. We need you. So, um, and it, you know, it, what really bothers me is when you have these load management games, when they coincide with nationally televised games. If they're just regionally televised games, like, you're going to see the Clippers play the Portland Trail Blazers 6 times during the regular season because they're division rivals. But you're only going to see Milwaukee and LA Clippers play twice, once in Milwaukee, once in Los Angeles, and if it's a tele- nationally televised game, I think that's where David, or excuse me, David Stern, that's where Adam Silver needs to come in and say, "Listen, off the record, between us, buds in this conference room, rest your guys when you need to, but do it on nights when it's not an ESPN national game, a TNT national game, something like that. Do it when it's a regionally televised game. And I think that would absorb a little bit of the sting of sitting these guys out because a lot of the country would have been tuned in to watch Giannis versus Kawhi in a rematch of the two combatants in last year's Eastern Conference finals between the Raptors and the Bucks when Kawhi was playing for Toronto last year. But... I just think that you know, and the other game that Kawhi Leonard sat out was a nationally televised game between Utah and Los Angeles. So I think if you do it a little bit more covertly, do it a little bit more sneaky, do it on the back to a back a back to back of a night when you're playing Phoenix the next night. Who gives? I mean, Phoenix is improved, but Phoenix isn't a team that everybody wants to watch. The country wants to see Kawhi versus Giannis. Not Kawhi, or excuse me, Giannis versus Patrick Beverly, which we got stuck with on Wednesday. That's all I'm saying. I think load management, though, when you come out and just say it's going to happen and there's not a damn thing we can do about it, I think that's ridiculous. And I think that hurts the brand of the NBA
0: moving forward. Well, I think the whole point of load management seems to just be minimizing. Wear and tear day in and day out. I, th- I, I, if I'm missing the point, then that's no, fine, I think but, you hit it right on. Okay, so if that's the case, I think then what they should do is maybe take more of a medical approach to it because it sounds like they're just flying in the dark, they're just kind of guessing, like, oh, it's been two games now, we'll rest them again. Like, that's so arbitrary, that doesn't necessarily help. What if the person doesn't really need that medically, or what if? they uh, maybe could go a little longer or maybe a little shorter. Maybe you're playing them three games and then one off, and maybe it should be less than that if they have something wrong with them. They should, I think, maybe be doing more tests of these guys and scans, looking for a hairline fracture or a slight tear in a ligament or something like that, and really try to find out if there's anything at all going on. And if that person has a specific reason or they have a degenerative condition or something, but if if they're just a random, healthy young person and there is nothing wrong with them. Uh, And they're a professional athlete, and paid highly, and they have the best of the best working on them at all times. They have masseuses and they have acupuncture and they have just people monitoring everything about them there's no reason to just arbitrarily have them miss random full games it doesn't make any sense uh you're just guessing and you've got all this wonderful medical technology at your fingertips use it look for even the most micro fracture in any part of their body and see if there's something specific you need to be resting and if not just let them fucking play because they're already overpaid
1: just so they don't consult with the new orleans saints doctors right
0: Uh, that's right, because then you end up with, uh, Trent Williams, who I think they must have called for a consult to New Orleans and said, hey, there's something growing on the back of his head. And they were like, oh, it's probably just dysentery. (laughs) Tell him to wipe his ass. It's a contusion. And he'll be good.
1: Uh, before we get out of here on this 421st episode, I did want to ask my partner in crime over here, um, my favorite fighter in the UFC still to this day remains Conor McGregor. I I do. And I know he's been in a little bit of trouble lately, and he has a way of keeping himself in the news, and sometimes it's not always in the brightest of lights. But I wanted to talk to Chris about this, um, but his nemesis, Khabib, and I'm not even going to try to say his last name. He's a good fighter.
0: And Nurmagomedov. Thank
1: you, sir that guy says that Conor McGregor would need to win 10 straight title fights to earn a rematch with Khabib of his UFC title now i know that hype is part of the the uh, of everything in regarding sports and sometimes more preposterous the better but I want your comments on this guy's statement that McGregor would need to win 10 straight title fights to earn a rematch for his UFC title. And I want to hear what you have to say about that because I'm always interested. I always learn when I listen to you. But this, I think, is a a little bit over the top. 10 straight title fights to earn a rematch. Is that even feasible?
0: Well, no, it's it's not at all. I mean, it's not even a, a possible thing. Uh, In addition, though, uh, Habib, by the time McGregor did do that, Habib has said he only wants to fight for two or three more years. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that couldn't happen. Fighters fight a maximum of three or four times a year. And because McGregor is such a big star, even if he does come back and fully commit himself to fighting, I don't see him fighting more than twice a year maximum. I just don't see it. He can make so much on each one, the money doesn't even matter at that point. But uh, the other thing is, too, and this is the right call, is uh, Dana White this week announced that the next fight for Habib will be against Tony Ferguson, who has been just a killer. He's only ever lost three times, I think twice in 09 and once in 2012, so a long time ago, and he, is, he just never seems to get title shots, or he does. Actually, he and Habib have been uh, supposed to fight a couple times before, and every time they go to fight, someone gets a last-second injury or some freak thing happens, and they can't fight, but that is a very interesting fight Habib versus Tony Ferguson. That will be a great fight. So that's going to be in the spring of 2020. They've said that just announced three days ago and that one I want to see. And the winner of that against Conor, I think makes sense. Although Habib used a bit too much hyperbole there, but he is right in terms of McGregor shouldn't just get his ass kicked by Habib and then sit around for a couple of years and then get another title shot. I mean, Conor doesn't even need title shots to make the fight sell or anything like that. He should come back and just face exciting guys. And that's what they've talked about. The three guys they've listed for fighting Conor McGregor when he comes back are uh, Frankie Edgar, Justin Gaethje, and uh, Cowboy Donald Cerrone. And all three of those fighters are very, very exciting and would have a great brawl with Conor. And I think that's what people should see. And Tony Ferguson more than deserves a shot at Habib. Uh, the undefeated fighter. So uh, I think those are the fights to make right now. Someday it would be nice to get Connor and Habib one more time. Sure. The most hated rivalry there is. It would. It, I think it would be the biggest grossing pay-per-view and live gate of all time in the UFC if those two fight again, and they should someday. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not fair just to sit around for two years and then get a rematch title shot against the guy who destroyed you. Because Habib, it was fairly one-sided. Habib did... Own him pretty well, but I, I would be optimistic that Connor would come back with a better game plan next time. I don't think Habib is unbeatable. I just think that people haven't had great strategies against him because he does the same thing every time. He just grinds you down, and I think somebody's going to come with a great game plan against him. And there's been nobody who's ever had better game plans with him and his team than George St. Pierre. And St. Pierre and Habib want each other. Do they? Yes, because Habib is convinced that St. Pierre is the best wrestling, um, mixed martial artist of all time. And he thinks that would cement his legacy as the greatest ever if he could beat St. Pierre. And St. Pierre would be willing to come out of retirement potentially to face him. So that's another fight that would be really interesting to happen so those are kind of the fights that we're all looking at uh coming up and i hope that all of them happen eventually but yeah connor doesn't deserve a title shot uh just for sitting on his ass for a couple years
1: we've got a run on this 421st episode of unscripted as always we thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so a lot of things to get to and uh, we'll get right back at it but uh, for this one we've got to put it in the books Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.